You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Towner, Caitlin, and our special guest, who shouldn't really be a special guest. He should be a regular guest, regular participant. Joe Hill from our Philadelphia office. Joe runs our Philadelphia practice and is is joining us today. Um, Welcome, Joe. He's in town, too. He's joining us here in Washington, D.C. today. Yeah, Joe, what are you Joe, what are you doing in town? We're hosting an event for the uh, Congressional Black Caucus annual uh, legislative conference. It's the first time it'll be in person since the pandemic. And um, we're, we're hoping to have some fun tonight. So, yeah, uh, it's a good time to be back in D.C. And, and see everybody. Look forward to seeing you a little later. Yeah, we're, we're we will all be there and uh, super excited. I'll tell you, the world the world is back in person. I was in Chicago this week and for some business and I mean, a couple of these restaurants I went to definitely the most crowded places I've been since March of 2020. I mean, insane, but guys, should we start this week with um, an episode of where in the world is Mark Alderman? (laughs) I mean, I feel like we should. I feel like you should have a big map on your wall of the globe and we can put pins in it. Yeah, I think that would be, that would be good. Um, But we'll, all right, we'll play that next week. We'll play that when he's back about that. Where have you been, Mark Alderman? Right. So, sorry, Mark, we love you, but you're an easy target. We miss you, Mark. You're an easy target. (laughs) So, guys, tragic occurrences this week with Hurricane Ian striking uh, just a crushing blow to Florida, west coast of Florida, most, most I think, specifically. The, the pictures, the devastation is, is just massive. It's, and it, it's, I don't want to get too political because, you know, it's a disaster and it's still unfolding. It's now striking South Carolina, I guess. But it is interesting that you have Ron DeSantis as the governor of Florida now coming to the federal government seeking disaster relief. He he needs the helping hand of the federal government. So he needs Joe Biden right now. I would argue Joe Biden also needs him because obviously presidents get judged on how these things are dealt with, not just not just governors. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess my first question is, can the Democrats and Republicans, Towner, can they come together? And you worked for many years for yeah. Florida members, so you know the ins and outs of how you know the hurricane issues that pop up and the disaster relief. Mm-hmm. So can Democrats and Republicans come together to manage this? Well, yes, they can. Uh to the extent that there is going to be relief for the hurricanes that's passed by Congress. Uh, so to the extent can Democrats and Republicans come together to get, 
you know, over 218 votes, you know, probably closer to like 260 votes, 270 votes. Yes, they absolutely can. Uh, is this a regional issue frequently? Absolutely. Yes, it is, especially for Republicans. Um, you know, during 2017, we had Texas lawmakers routinely criticized for asking for relief uh, for the absolutely devastating hurricanes along the Galveston uh, coastline uh, when they voted against Superstorm Sandy funds. It's interesting because, you know, being Florida, Texas, Louisiana tend to get hit the most and and there's there's a higher proportion. Uh, it's Southern. So there's a higher proportion of Republicans in those state delegations. And so all we can compare it to is Superstorm Sandy, because that was, for the most part, in the last 20 years, the one hurricane that affected on a massive scale an area of democratically controlled uh, states. And so uh, you, you'll generally find that every single time there's a hurricane in the Gulf uh, or in the in the southern Atlantic uh, Ocean that you'll find, well, these members voted against Superstorm Sandy. Uh, relief package, which was $50 billion, by the way. It wasn't an insignificant uh, sum of money and looked out uh, many, many years. But that being said, my point here is that he will ask for money. He will get criticized for it. It will pass Congress, ultimately. So so that would be a long-winded way of saying yes. Yes. (laughs) Being a freshman Freedom Caucus bomb-throwing member of the House of Representatives is very, very different and a different position than being the governor, one of the largest, most populous states in the country. And he is wearing a different hat today as governor. And as a Floridian who has many, many members of my family in Florida dealing with this this week, I have to say, Democrat and Republican, a lot of folks are giving him major props for the preparedness he showed for the leadership he showed, you know, there's a lot that is still, you know, going to be handled and how he handles the disaster um, cleanup efforts and whatnot. But I'm hearing nothing but positivity out of Florida about the leadership that Governor DeSantis has shown in the past couple of days. Yeah, but I, I guess I hadn't even gotten to yet to the point that DeSantis voted against Hurricane Sandy relief, one of only two members of the Florida delegation to do so. And Towner, you rightly pointed yeah. out as we were talking earlier that there were lots and lots of bills, but just stipulating that, um, will he be bitten by his prior politics? I mean, I take your point, Caitlin, that, you know, where you sit is where you stand, but yes, it's different, but, you know, he voted based on principle and, and is he going to be, or is that going to backfire? on? That's my question. I generally think, no, I mean, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> were Texans, uh, taken out in 2017 because they voted for hurricane relief for their state, but not for, not for New York and New Jersey and, and, uh, the Northeast and during Sandy. Absolutely not. Are Floridians going to be voted out of Congress for supporting relief efforts from the federal government for uh, to deal yeah. with Hurricane Ian because they they didn't vote for Sandy? No. As long as you're you're back in your constituents, which they're doing in this particular case, uh, you're not going to get too much blowback. You might get national press blowback, but you're not going to get uh, local. Blowback. Well, no, you're not. But he's running for president in theory. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what I'm talking about. I mean. You're teeing up the debate question for uh, about 18 months from now. (laughs) Well, I'm not above that. Um, Look, I think to answer my own question, I think it's much more important how you, how 
he and frankly Biden perform as a manager of the crisis. You know, like when Bush was president and Katrina hit New Orleans, he did the flyover and he was criticized. And he admits now that it was a mistake that he didn't that he didn't land and and actually have boots on the ground. He flew over, you know, the yeah. devastation and that and that backfired. So these which which well, is sort of crazy, by the way, Howard, because, you know, Biden's about to get criticized for going down there because Biden will ultimately go down there probably next week. And he's going to be a distraction. Republicans are going to say, why is he there? He's a distraction. Um, you know, and, and, but if Biden did a flyover, it would be the worst possible thing, even though he wouldn't be the distraction. I don't get it. I don't really understand. George W. Bush was trying not to be the distraction during Katrina. So he did the flyover and then got torn a new one for it. And it's, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I was just about to say that no matter what party you're talking about or what leader you're talking about, it's definitely yeah. a damned if you do, you'll get criticized either way. I mean, look, he also, but he also had a, unqualified yeah. leader, head of FEMA. I mean, he, it wasn't the criticism of the Bush administration and Katrina was principally one of failure to respond effectively, not, you know, the politics of the flyover. But the, my mm-hmm. point was these things, particularly response to natural disasters can have serious political implications. You had, yeah. Christie and and the and the Obama hug after you know Get after off Sandy the damn beach that was my right. favorite Chris Christie line ever. You know that absolutely had an impact on on him and frankly Obama probably. So anyway, it's yeah. interesting. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with people that are being impacted down there, and it's 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 tragic. It's it's hard to know whether. Yeah, obviously, there have been hurricanes forever. You know, when these things come up, everybody thinks about climate and uh, the implications of, you know, of climate change on the, the frequency of these things happening. It's hard. It's just it's hard to know. It's just hard to know how to make sense of all this. And it's it, meanwhile, people people's lives are being affected and it's tragic. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's shift gears to our favorite topic, the midterms. Joe, you've been very involved in, as as you always are, in the Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania races coming up in in November, both at the gubernatorial level and the the Senate level and and beyond. Give us your thoughts on, on how do you see the race shaping up, races shaping up in Pennsylvania and Let's kick around whether we can draw, extrapolate from Pennsylvania to draw some conclusions that may tell us something about where the race is going on a broader national basis. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough to draw some parallels given the <laughs> characters um, we have at the at the top of the ticket this year. You know, Fetterman and Shapiro have consistently had leads uh, on their opponents, um, you know, throughout the cycle, I think we're seeing a little bit of tightening happening now, um, which is usually what happens in Pennsylvania. Folks who identify as undecided typically are Republicans and they typically come home toward the end. 
you know, you have John Fetterman, the latest public polls have him, you know, within five, some within the uh, margin of error um, against Dr. Oz, who continues to raise funds. Um, you know, the the uh, Republican Senate uh, campaign committee has um, continued to support Dr. Oz, and he's picked up some pretty significant endorsements recently. You know, Oz has done a pretty good job, his campaign and other third parties um, have been slamming John uh, on his record on uh, crime, specifically his role as the, um, you know, as LG, he also is the head of the Board of Pardons for the Commonwealth. And, you know, so similar to how, uh, you know, uh, the the Horton ads of, of the 80s, you, you're seeing this, what I would call sort of a dog whistle trick where they're uh, saying that John Fetterman um, is soft on crime because he's let uh, these folks uh, out of prison, a number of whom have been deemed, you know, not guilty, if, you know, uh, roundly um, been described as as really good citizens. Uh, and, and John Fetterman took that role seriously. But obviously, with the uptick of crime uh, across the country, you know, when folks are just getting introduced to John Fetterman and the campaign season uh, picks up, um, you know, attacks on his record on crime are, I think, landing. And I think that uh, is, is you know, I think I'd attribute a lot of the tightening to that in addition to just, you know, natural uh, Republicans coming home. I think on the other side, you know, we have a, a gubernatorial race where uh, the Republican nominee, Doug Mastriano, instead of having events or running TV ads, is going to be engaged in 40 days of prayer and fasting uh, with the hope that that will um, help save his, his fledgling campaign. Uh, I think it's uh, I would hope that it's unlikely that uh, he's going to pick up steam. He's not on TV. He has a couple of million dollars in the bank. On the other hand, you know, A.G. Shapiro uh, has raised, you know, significant uh, sums of money. Uh, He spent twenty eight million dollars since June. He's, um, you know, on track to raise more than's ever been raised uh, in a in a statewide campaign um, for governor in Pennsylvania. And, you know, so there's a definitely a contrast. Doug Maestriano has some really interesting views that are outside of the mainstream. But, you know, we, we see that in the Philadelphia suburbs in particular, uh, issues around choice and, you know, some of the issues that are, are percolating around the country. I think that's one um, trend to sort of that we can kind of extrapolate from Pennsylvania is that Women are are activated. Women are organized, um, particularly those you know more affluent women in in suburbs um, of metro areas. Joe, tell us tell us about these um, Republicans for Josh Shapiro events. I keep hearing about, including uh, one hosted or an op ed penned by one of our former uh, partners and former Beltway briefing. Um, he he who shall not be named. He who shall not be named. <laughs> It's been fascinating to watch. I mean, it really has been fascinating to watch the differences with with Republicans coming out for Shapiro and, um, you know, how how we might the differential we might see in the race between the Oz versus Fetterman and Shapiro versus Mastriano, you know, what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, part of the reason for that is that um, Republicans, the Republican nominee has pretty much disqualified himself among um, folks who are at least in the establishment wing. The RGA just came out this week too and said, forget it. We're not, you know, we're not into wasting money this cycle and we're we're out. Exactly. And then the Commonwealth 
um, Foundation, which is, in, in, you know, affiliated entities, which is the big, you know, Republican sort of lobby in Pennsylvania. Um, they've pulled down their, uh, you know, Josh Shapiro attack ads off the of TV. And I think, you know, Josh Shapiro's taken some views that um, are, tip, you know, within the Democratic, you know, uh, general mainstream. I mean, he's he's been a little different on school choice, uh, which is an issue that at least the the state Republican lobby and the Commonwealth folks have historically really pushed. And, and Josh is um, taking a more centrist view on that. Uh, and, you know, Republicans across the Commonwealth, at least the ones I know, <laughs> are, are supporting Josh. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know a lot of the ones that would be with with the other guy. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch how broad Josh Shapiro's support has been. Uh, and he's been able to raise money from all different pockets of the state, from the very left wing, you know, all the way to the, the chamber crowd uh, that, that you described. It's interesting because I, I've even talked to some folks, some members of Congress who are very Republican members of Congress who are very pro, you know, obviously Republican across the country, but they're throwing it, they, they've thrown in the towel on Mastriano. It's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, um, I don't, go ahead. I don't want Republicans to vote for him, but Josh Shapiro certainly did in the primary. So, you know, it was, uh, it's it's difficult to to square that away, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is what happens when when gems start playing in primaries and bumping up candidates that are bad for everyone. Yeah. Right, right. It's also though a function. We've said this before of who chooses to run in the first place. Yeah, I mean that's part of it. Yeah, all around. It's interesting what you said about crime being kind of a uh, a, a key a key issue um i mean it does feel it feels like that is safety is 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 on the ballot yep um i'll tell you like i said i was in chicago and the the level of crime that people that are there describe is just it i can't i can't even comprehend it so you're telling us, Howard, it's not just Fox News overhype in Chicago. I mean, it's not like I it's not like I saw anything walking down the street, but to hear people talk about it, it's. I mean, it's there's a lot of there's just a, a there's just a tremendous crime wave. Yeah, going yeah. on significant uptick in crime. I mean, you know, I think there's. People don't like to hear this, but we have seen a bit of leveling happening um, as we're, you know, coming out of the pandemic. And like you described at the top, Howard, like, you know, we're, we're back in person. Um, things are, are approaching normal. And so but that doesn't change the, the perceptions of people who are being directly affected. Right. And it doesn't change the, the, the media narrative doesn't necessarily reflect the data all the time. Um, but there has been a significant um, uptick throughout the pandemic and and up to now, um, and and leaders are going to have to uh, come up with with real solutions to it. I mean, John Fetterman has been a mayor of a you know um, a town that was uh, directly impacted by gun violence, and you know while he was mayor, he took it very seriously. That's the reason he uh, got 
uh, involved in politics to hear him tell it. And, um, you know, that the tattoos on his arm are reflective of the folks uh, who passed, um, you know, uh, while he was he was Mayor Braddock. And so I think this is an issue he's cared deeply about. I think the campaign has struggled to cut through the money and the noise um, and to make that, uh, you know, to, to really lean into it. And so I think that's part of the reason you're seeing a, a little bit of tightening on the Senate race as opposed to the governor's race. I mean, Shapiro is a law enforcement officer. He's, uh, you know, a prosecutor. Um, he just recently got the support of the uh, local FOP here in mm-hmm. Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, most Democrats would run away from. Um, but I think that's indicative of the, um, you know, and the FOP split their endorsement. They endorsed Oz and they endorsed Josh Shapiro. Um, and you're seeing that happen um, a lot of places. Uh, so we'll see. I think it's, I think John's probably still going to pull it off because I think there's a, you know, looking at some of the tea leaves, there's a an energy that's palpable, particularly in Collar County, in the Collar Counties around Philadelphia and outside of Pittsburgh. Um, and I think you're going to see, um, pretty high turnout, pretty significant turnout in those areas. But um, I think it's going to come down to what happens in these, you know, urban areas, you know, um, you know, same thing in Ohio, you you can look at, you know, what's happening there. uh, And a lot of it's going to hinge on turnout in cities, I think. The uh, what's happening, Joe, down at the more local level in there's an election next year for mayor in Philadelphia. Yep. but what's what's the mood down there? The buzz in Chicago, what people were talking about in Chicago was a crime bill called the Safety Act that's they're considering that depending upon who you talk to, you know, it lets people who've committed certain offenses off without bail, um, you know, on their own recognizance or whatever. And depending upon who you talk to, it's there are variations of, you know, how lenient it is, but it doesn't square with the more statewide or national political bent that you're talking about where someone like Shapiro, who's like more law and order type person has a big advantage right now. So is the same thing going on in Philadelphia? Like what's happening at the, down at the city level? Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have a DA who's, um, Larry Krasner, who's got national attention, he was sort of at the, um, you know, the beginning of this wave of progressive district attorneys that sort of picked up across the country. You've seen that with um, in Chicago with their state's attorney. Um, and, you know, he's currently undergoing impeachment proceedings. There was just a, an impeachment hearing next week that Republican leadership in, in Harrisburg, you know, have been leading. And, you know, you're seeing these same trends whenever I talk to to John or Pat or Darren on our team in Chicago. It's almost like the same stuff is happening there um, on a on a you know different level with different personalities and, and different people. Uh, there is a contingent of people uh, who you know want to see some of these reforms play out. I mean, criminal justice reform has been the movement. Uh, you know, certainly gained steam um, and you know bipartisan consensus. I think leading into the pandemic. Um, and it started to wane a little bit as people have been become more concerned about on their personal safety. Uh, but that conflict is, is, you know, happening. We haven't seen it um, really litigated in an election on the local level. Um, the, the closest thing we have is, 
you know, Larry Krasner, who's our DA, won overwhelmingly in his reelection, despite being attacked as soft on crime um, and, and, and not taking, you know, violent crime seriously. And so, you know, I think in 2023, we have a mayoral primary. The primary, which is in May, is pretty much our general election in Philadelphia. And uh, we'll see what argument wins out. We'll probably have a progressive who's saying we need to invest more in human services and wraparound services and prevention to make sure that, you know, we don't have these problems. And we'll probably have another candidate who emerges um, who's a lot more, you know, tough on crime, so to speak. And we'll see what ideas went out. I mean, we've seen, yeah. we saw what happened with Eric Adams in New York. Obviously, he had a um, he he had one approach, and his perspective uh, was rewarded. So we'll see. It should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's very, and you know, we're still working out the pandemic, and it's hard to pinpoint why the pandemic has coincided with it's hard for me to explain or articulate or make sense of why the pandemic has coincided with an increase in in violence but i think the pandemic also you know one thing that i've been thinking a lot about is the migration away from cities as a result of the pandemic I mean, there's no question that that's happened. And I think we're going to see that reflect itself in politics nationally and locally for for a long time, Towner. I mean, you've had lots of people move from cities out to suburbs or even rural areas. and, And that has to have an effect on things politically because we know the way the division generally works in this country is urban versus rural with suburban in the middle. And I, I just, I feel like we're in the middle of a, a period of change that um, we can't really make sense of yet. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I do think on a political level, um, the national parties have done a much better job of insulating themselves against those kinds of waves that we saw. Really, you know, the thing you're talking about here happened in Pennsylvania, for example, after the 2000 redistricting, where Republicans uh, tried to take off, you know, take on a bunch of, of uh, swing districts and make them Republican districts. And they ended up creating a ton of, uh, you know, we'd call them R plus one to four districts that by 2006. Uh, because of folks moving out of Philadelphia primarily uh, and into the suburbs, all of those districts had swung to the Democrats and, and Pennsylvania became a, a majority Democratic uh, congressional delegation uh, state. And, you know, I think folks have looked at those, and frankly, errors in, in, on the Republican side that they've made in the past. Um, with the understanding that they were going to try not to make them again. That's why we see, you know, when Florida picks up a couple districts, one goes to a Democrat or one is created as a, as a swing or a Democratic district while another is created as a Republican. Same thing happened in Texas during this redistricting period, for example. So I think I think the parties, based on the redistricting efforts in the 1990s and 2000s, are trying to minimize that level of swing. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes Illinois happens where it used to be nine Democrats representing uh, Chicago and nine Republicans essentially representing everywhere else in Illinois. 
and the migration out of Chicago, and especially into the Western and uh, suburbs, uh, finally overtook any political realities that uh, Republicans uh, could try to imagine uh, as they were working on the 2010 redistricting and Illinois obviously became a uh, predominantly Democratic state. I don't think that's going to happen in Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is has a has a pretty good uh, case for remaining a swing state, if not less than a D plus five state uh, on the national level. Sorry, I didn't mean to get too far into things. <laughs> that was a very Professor French answer. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to answer Howard's actual question and take the Thank you, Caitlin. Just because I'm me. I liked it. I liked it, Tanner. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think about these things. I think a lot about these things. You know, a lot of people that did migrate and did move from the big cities, from Illinois, from New York, from California, down to Florida, down to Texas, down to South Carolina, down to North Carolina. I hope that they remember why they moved down there in the first place. Things were open. There was a lot of freedom. They had more choices. They went there. The taxes were lower. The restrictions were lower. And yeah. uh, as we like to say in Florida, welcome to Florida. Come on down, New Yorkers, but but leave your liberal policies and your liberal, liberal voting record at the door. And remember why you came down here in the first place. Says, says she who lives Hashtag in a blue, freedom. Says she who lives in a blue state. Um, I'm in Virginia. Right. He's got a red state state mentality, though. He's got a red state governor, a red governor. I guess that's that's true. I guess guess we can call it a swing state. Um, I think the overarching theme here is that, you know, you have Republicans talking up crime and you have Democrats talking up abortion in an election and it's Groundhog Day all over again, even though it feels new and different. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Now, that counter was succinct. There you go. Direct. Um, yeah, it's an excellent point. It's an excellent point. And I guess, yeah, all the noise be damned, it kind of comes back to some of the core issues is what you're saying that that traditionally decide elections plus the candidates. And obviously, I mean, the candidate picture in Pennsylvania, which is why I think part of the reason you were saying, Joe, we may not be able to extrapolate from Pennsylvania, but it's it's unusual. I mean, you got guy from New Jersey running for the Republican nomination and you have a guy who probably would have run away with it, but he's been incapacitated, you know, running on the Democratic side. And then the Mastriano thing is just out of the field. <laughs> really bizarre. Yeah, it's unusual. How is how is Fetterman's health? I think we've seen um, you know significant improvements. I've seen him in person a couple of times uh, over these last uh, several weeks. Um, he's been you know I think just about his uh, his old self. Um, you know he made a, a couple of you know smart remarks about uh, you know what one was very empathetic in the sense that you know he he called out is anybody here had a serious medical condition or had a family member that had, and everybody in the room raised their hand. And he said, well, imagine if you had that and you had a, a, a doctor uh, running around trolling you and talking about your, your medical condition. And I mean, the whole room burst out um, laughing. And I mean, he really just leaned into it. And I think the more he's authentic, the more he's transparent and open about his struggle, um, you know, the 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 better voters are going to respond to it. We'll see what happens in this debate that's going to be at the end of October. 
Um, I know that um, he's going to be accommodated um, in some way. Uh, I think, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that most of the challenge is related to, you know, an auditory issue um, and doesn't have to do with, you know, the, the, his, the way he speaks. Um, he's been, uh, he's, he's, he did a rally last weekend in Philadelphia. Uh, there were almost a thousand people there and he gave one of the best speeches I've seen him give. Um, so I think he's getting better every day and, you know, I don't have any concerns about his ability to serve as a Senator. Okay. Joe, can I ask you a question real quick? Cause this is the burning thing for me. Is he going to try to wear that hoodie on the Senate floor? I don't think so. I've, so he he does wear um, a, a suit and tie on the Senate floor in in Pennsylvania, okay, and right. he looks a little strange when he wears it. I don't. It's a, it's a little odd, but he but he wears it for what it's worth. Hey, look, Chowder, we we did away with the ladies covering their arms on the Senate floor for I don't know if it was for Senator Cinema, but I just always yeah. see her with her shoulders exposed, and it takes me a minute to. <laughs> process but you know it's a new day the chamber is evolving it's a new day ladies are allowed to expose their shoulders and women in the house can wear a, a hat a, a fancy hat if they'd like to i mean it's just we're uh you know gosh it's this country's so liberal well joe <laughs> i think to your point good for him for for taking ownership of and, and being open and honest with the crowd like that we saw something this week from president of the United States that was a little alarming and his team, instead of just saying he's old, it may have been a senior moment or something, just doubled down. And you want to talk about from a comms perspective, complete mishandling of a cleanup situation. And I don't want to take any cheap shots here, but I think we all know what I'm talking about. Well, you're talking about the reference to Congresswoman that passed Wolarski, who passed away in a car accident recently, and Biden was doing his event around hunger and asked if she was in the room, which was, yeah, not not good. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. Not not good. They're calling it a gaffe. I'm not sure that's the right description for it. Somebody. It was probably a combination of failure to prep and failure to failure to prep because I mean, you got to drill into him, you know? Well, I think we fairly established that he's going to read anything on a teleprompter. And so, you know, it's incumbent on the staff to, you know, to actually do something there. I have no doubt that, you know, the teleprompter listed out and there's no way he can rattle off the four, Chair, co-chairs no. of the Congressional Hunger Caucus off the top of no. his head. So he doesn't even probably yeah. didn't even know who she was. No. So he saw Jackie Walorski on there. She was the last name. I'm confident that this is what happened. Right. And he says, and Jackie, where's Jackie? He's the last one. You right. know, to try to be, you know, friendly to the group. And, right. you know, never put two and two together, which in that moment, you may not. I don't know, Tanner. It was a big conference. The White House put a lot behind it. I don't think it's hard to to know the four members of Congress who led on this effort. First White House nutrition and hunger conference since the 60s. And I don't know. But I'll stop now. I just don't think he was reading briefing books the night before about this hunger conference. He was reading a speech. But Tanner's right, because they what they should have done 
is written into his remarks a moment to stop and honor her. Exactly. But they just named her. And so it was bad. I Look, it wasn't good presidential performance on any level. It was a gaff of sorts, I guess, but it was bad, bad, bad staff work. Yes. Bad. I never That's thought I'd it. say I, I miss Jen Psaki at the White House podium, but I miss Jen Psaki at the White House podium. About that. You can catch her on MSNBC. <laughs> yeah, I'd attribute it, like you said, Howard, to bad staff work. I mean, when you're giving speeches all day and reading <laughs> reading teleprompters all day, <laughs> reading different papers, it's, it's hard to keep track of who the, the co-chairs are, you know, regardless of how big of an event it was. You're jumping from thing to thing. And oh. that was on staff. Yeah. And, you know, look, having I never worked in the White House, but I worked at a high level in the executive branch and the amount of like detail that gets sweated over a thousand times a day on each and every little point is enormous. And it's just, it was just a, it was bad staff work. I I mean, Jackie Walorski is a very well-liked member of Congress from both sides of the aisle. She was Republican, but from both sides of the aisle. And I have known in my personal life, President Biden, before he was president, and certainly during his presidency, to literally be one of the most empathetic people you will ever meet in your entire life. And, you know, if he had been reminded of that, he would have stopped and he would have given 10 minutes off of the cuff about loss and, um, you know, and and probably asked his staff for some notes about Jackie and, and the things that she did. Right. And, you know, I mean, this is this is out of it, it, it has to be a gaffe because it is so far outside of his character. I may disagree with his policies, but I really think he is one of the nicest people who has ever been president of the United States, to be quite frank. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, it seems like no matter what the week and no matter what's going on in the world, no shortage of uh, issues. Joe, thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll do it again. And send our, our thoughts and our prayers down to Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, any of those impacted by Hurricane Ian. And um, just wanted to add that. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, Caitlin. And we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.